podcast listeners. If you hear my voice right now, I need you to do something for me. I want you to take out your phone or on your computer, go to Apple Podcasts, search for Ask Your Old Head Podcast. You'll see my, my logo, my little picture, my little image there. Find the show. Please rate and write a review. It's a small thing, but it helps others find this work and find what I'm doing here. And it really, really matters, uh, as small as that may seem. So if you could please do that uh, before we get into the show, I very much appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Peace. Peace. You are listening to the Ask Your Old Head podcast with Justice Rod G. My guest today is a friend, a elder, a mentor, a person I'm proud to count as uh, an advisor, a source in my own corner, and uh, someone who I have the pleasure of getting to do some great work in the community with, retired assistant chief, Kevin Modica. Uh, we're going to get into a range of topics uh, over the course of the interview, as we always do. But I want to say thank you to him for coming on and uh, adding his voice to my world and my platform. So with that, I'm going to let the rest speak for itself. Peace. I say peace. Peace. This is the Ash Old Head Podcast, and I am joined by my fantastic guest, Mr. Kevin Modica. Or uh, is it? How, I want I want to give you all your props right on the front oh. end now. So how how so how do I say it? I call you chief, but I don't want you, nobody. You could call me chief. You can call me Kevin. I retired as an assistant chief with okay. the Portland Police Bureau uh, after 31 years, and then previously worked at Clackamas County Sheriff's Office for four and a half, and worked for Federal Bureau of Prisons Treatment Center, formerly titled, but really just a halfway house, and then I worked uh, civil commitments for Multnomah County, uh, former trainer at uh, the Police Academy, DPSST, and um, currently in my retirement, I sit on um, three boards mm-hmm. uh, for uh, nonprofits, non-governmental organizations, and um, also the transition team for District Attorney Mike Schmidt and the Governor's Task Force on Police Reform. And I'm in the focus bucket uh, that deals with training. Absolutely. So, you know, we always start with giving some reverence. So I'm going to give, you you laid out a lot there, and I'm going to say thank you and give you some reverence for for joining me, but also in my time being here and in the works that I've done, being someone that has embraced me. Mm -hmm. And um, as I like to say, gave me the signal that I was on the right path. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. Peace uh, and blessings to you, Justice. Right, you so, know, it's all good for the effort. And, uh, you know, Frederick Douglass said, agitate. The work is not yet finished. And so I look at it like this, you know, you've got people like Warren Buffett and other individuals that are well up past their 80s. And they're not sitting back. They're still doing what they do and what they know how to do. And I feel to be true to the mission and the purpose of myself on this planet, my physical uh, experience, uh, that uh, I continue building community and making a difference. 
Absolutely. So, anyone that you want to give some reverence, respect, or love to before we get into the uh, discussion? My queen, my wife, uh, Lynn, and uh, my children, uh, all of them. I've got uh, five between us, and every single one of them has uh, continued to inspire me and um, uh, teach me. And then, you know, there's so many. I'd say from community, uh, dearly departed uh, Edna Robinson, Mother Robinson, mm-hmm. just a stalwart in the community. Um, Mother Joyce Harris, um, Queen Antoinette Edwards, mm-hmm. Queen Avil Gordley, Bar family, um, Senator Gordley, um, Senator Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Senator Boyer. I mean, it's just this long legacy of um, learning uh, mm-hmm. from people who were doing the work. You know, Ron Herndon, I blame Ron all the time for me even having the opportunity because <laughs> uh, he challenged me. It was right after um, uh, the young man um, lost his life, Tony Lloyd Stevenson. And uh, we were protesting then. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked a smart college kid type question, and he just challenged me out in public. We were right in front of City Hall. And he said, uh, if you want to make changes, you got to change from the inside. So I took on the challenge, mm-hmm. and here we are later. So many more. Um, mm-hmm. Many people in the, in the um, profession uh, public safety profession. Um, I um, was very inspired by Norm Monroe and Dr. Lee P. Brown, um, uh, Dr. Gary Perlstein, um, you know, people who really led the way for change, systemic change. Um, you know, you, we're talking about people from the uh, late 60s all the way through, right. you know, uh, Commissioner Charles Jordan, uh, Absolutely. just heavyweights, heavyweights. All right. Awesome. So we'll get into it. Um, can you give me a standard or practice, uh, something that you do um, and you try to do as you move through the world, you know, as me? Well... You know, you, you do many things moving through the world, you know, from your daily task of hygiene to, you know, um, when I get up, I'll take you from square one. When I get up, I sit up and I think for a minute, let my body adjust to the gravitational pull and I give thanks because mm-hmm. I'm happy every time I regain consciousness. Uh, I tell my wife I love her. Uh, and sorry that I woke her up. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I have um, a spiritual practice. I smudge uh, first thing in the morning, uh, which, you know, for those that don't know, um, it's um, the burning of sage Mm -hmm. and other herbs, and uh, it's for cleansing. Uh, 
Uh, it sends me to uh, that spot where I can center on what needs to be accomplished and what I need to pay attention to. Because a lot of times, you know, you think you need to accomplish something, but there's usually one thing every cycle of uh, the sun mm -hmm. that you must pay attention to. You know, and uh, I just leave that to the one, get to my spot in my space, I'm cleansed, I'm clear, and, you know, I get on with the day. All right. Now, is there any, is there a story or something that's helped you get to where this is, you know, this kind of bringing that kind of order to your life every day? Like, is there anything that particularly happened or is it just something you mm -hmm. had to accumulate? Like, how did you get there? I think, um, you know, part of it is just honoring all of who I am. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, the last name um, speaks a lot to me. I pronounce it differently, but it's a, uh, an Italian surname. You know, we've searched my family and I for as long as we've been aware of figuring out was there an Italian slaveholder mm -hmm. or was um, was there intermarriage, you know, uh, closest we can get is we knew the Italians came into New Orleans mm -hmm. and we also know that there was intermarriage or uh, historical rape and babies appeared and uh, it's the name that we have um, but you know my inspiration just comes from my people you know it comes from everything um, from life um, I had a great life growing up, and within that great life, there were many circumstances and different environments, and I chose the path that I thought was uh, uh, my path to choose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I ended up here uh, playing in Portland State. I thought I was on my way to the league, got my rude awakening, <laughs> <laughs> had a couple tryouts, played a little semi-professional uh, football. And, um, you know, started listening. Matter of fact, Norman Monroe was one of the people who just sat me down. <laughs> Him and Olander Osborne uh, and a couple other brothers <laughs> that were working for the state police, and they would just check on me, man. I'd be in the park blocks, and they'd say, Kevin, what are you doing? You going to class? You going to the library? What are you doing? Hmm. You know, and uh, that, that stuck with me. Uh, and then, um, you know, like every young man, you seek adventure. Plus, I had to care for my family, yeah. you know, and that's, that's uh, how I ended up um, uh, getting into the profession, you know. Mm -hmm. But working in jail, like I was in Clackamas County, uh, you know, I, I was certain I didn't want to spend 31, 35 years in jail as a, as a career because every day those doors slam, you're in jail with the people in jail. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You're in there, too. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. So uh, relationships, broadly defined, what's something that you understand now that maybe you... Uh, understood differently or did not understand as well as a younger man? Size is not the measure of a person, mm -hmm. right? It is truly your relationships and your ability 
to um, tap down your emotions. You want to tap down your emotions and use your intellect. You know, size is something that, you know, when you're in the eighth grade, you're almost 6'4 and, you know, 250 mm -hmm. pounds. You know, that, that's basically been your vehicle, right? Everyone loves you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, this is the next so-and-so. Oh, hey, let's go fight. Hey, let's go to this party. Oh, mm -hmm. we got him with us. Let's go fight, you know. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, you know, you get wiser. Uh, it's just not about that. Yeah. Uh, a funny anecdote. Uh, a friend of mine <laughs> shared about them going into a corner store one time, and he had a, I mean, he, he, he was a friend about, 5'11", you know, not short necessarily, mm -hmm. um, but his friend, the other friend was like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, mm -hmm. and a uh, little dude unsolicited said to them, oh, we got something for you, big fella, mm -hmm. and it was like, like, wait a minute, we didn't, we were just trying to get a soda pop, right, <laughs> right, <laughs> wasn't right. nobody coming to start no drama, but, right. you know, um, I mean, I guess a, a familiar refrain, even friends of mine, I'd say, you know, you go to the gym and there's folks working out or something, and there's mm -hmm. always a guy that's, you know, in mm -hmm. real good shape and mm -hmm. kind of making faces at people. Mm -hmm. And I always think, like, hey, man, all the muscles ain't going to save you, man. Right. Like, you know, right. I hope you can actually fight right. <laughs> with the way you're looking at right. people. But, you know. There's always somebody bigger and better. Yeah. You know, uh, but, um, you know, as you get older, you, you really figure out, hey, being a peacemaker, mm -hmm. right? Being being someone who uh, seeks peace and uh, wants to give grace to people gets you so much further along, mm. right? So much further along. Because uh, at the end of the day, if you just weaponize yourself, you'd just be two beat-up people at the end. Mm -hmm. And if you use actual physical uh, things as weapons, uh, you could seriously hurt or kill one another and uh, you know we talked a little bit about you know spirituality and faith you know I don't believe that humans are wired to destroy one another mm -hmm. I, I don't feel that that's a natural thing it's an unnatural thing and uh, so mm -hmm. you know that that's that's one seriously big lesson mm. and so you you grew up between Seattle? I grew up in the CD. In so CD. Okay. Um, both my parents uh, migrated from the South. My mother from uh, Texas. My father from Louisiana, Baton Rouge, uh, known as uh, Scotlandville. Mm. And um, they ended up here in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, like all young men, I wanted to leave home. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I came 179 miles away from home, ended up in Portland. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm out of here. But, you know, close enough. I, I could drive home. Right, you know? <laughs> all right. I want to come back to that uh, in a second as we, we move through. So at this point in your life, what's, what's just really important to you right now? Um. My children and my grandchildren, mm. you know, I, uh, I'm digging the grandchildren so much because we see our children in them. And so, you know, not unlike any other parent, I think, you know, you want 
so much more and better for them. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to um, be uh, oppressed by the same things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I know that's what my parents said, and I know what their parents said to them. I was fortunate enough to know my grandparents, you know. And um, so in that importance, you know, this time right now, this uh, awakening of our country, uh, the movement, uh, the demand, um, it's it's important to me to really push for this work. I don't know as if we'll all ever be done, mm-hmm. but I certainly do not want my grandchildren, my grandsons, I have two of them, mm-hmm. and I have two granddaughters. I do not want them oppressed because of the color of their skin, the width of their nose, the thickness of their lips, the type of hair they have. Mm-hmm. I do not want that for them. I don't want them to go through the things that we've gone through to this point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's traumatizing. Yeah. And it's just extra work you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's extra, um, it's like extra uh, uh, rules and yes, and, 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 and checks, you know, things yes. to check before you leave the house. Like, I oh, got, yeah. do I got my keys, yep. house keys, car? Yep. Oh, do I yep. also have, do I have my dignity? Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> do I have enough uh, intestinal fortitude to get through the day without slapping somebody? A- a- absolutely. You know, where you am know, I? Do I have my integrity? Uh, do I know who I really am? Uh, am I going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? Am I going to let somebody else define me? Uh, just how will I uh, react if somebody calls me nigga mm-hmm. or wants to touch my hair or spits at me or challenges me to act differently than how I'm raised at home so that I fit in, mm-hmm. you know, or someone telling me that I'm not smart enough to accomplish something, yeah. right? It almost sounds ludicrous, right? I think generally in society when you start breaking it down to people, you know, and that's why these conversations are important. Uh, older person told me some, some time ago, said, everyone has a lynch story, right? Everyone has a lynching story. So, you know, when we talk, if we really break it down and we're comfortable with people, it's not for you to feel sorry, it's for you to be aware. Hmm. It's just like, so just know we go through all of this shit. Excuse my language. Every every day, all day. I have to encounter whether or not that's the reason for things that may occur or I may encounter. And once I filter and get through all of that, I get to determine whether or not my day has been successful. Was I able to get my task done? Mm -hmm. Uh, Was I good to other people? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, did I love my family today? Or is this why I'm grumpy when I got home, didn't want to talk to anybody? Or, you know, why I don't have friends anymore because I just don't like anybody anymore, (laughs) you know? I mean, this is serious stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what it's like to be white. I don't know what it's like to be black. It doesn't seem like it's the same thing. Yeah. No, not at all. 
So when you you brought up the grandkids and and and, and the the arc, you know what I mean, of being a parent. Because uh, I'm at the, I got two teenagers. One mm-hmm. finished high school, so I'm at the, the, as I like to say, the first gate. Oh yes. Of like, hey man, I got you here. Yes. Now you can, you know, you got a little, you got a lot more autonomy now. With right. What's about to happen with you? Right. And I got one that's starting high school, but mm-hmm. you got you 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 on the other side, you got some grandbabies. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that that sticks out to you right now with like being a grandparent that you were that you maybe didn't expect or you surprised you when you once you got here? Um, the feeling that I would have from the unrestricted love, right? The grandchildren love you without any restriction. It is, um, it is just incredible. And that you can teach them things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the people say, oh, the grandparents' job is spoiling. It's like, no, you can, you can teach them. I was with my grandson yesterday, and we just took a walk down the block and you know, so inquisitive, right? And you know your colors, you know your, you know, and to listen to Papa. Okay, we're crossing the street. Let's look left. Let's look right. You know, and to actually watch his little body perform left and right and look up. Okay, we're listening. Do you hear any cars? Okay, let's cross. And just that, that humanization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the purity the purity of these new souls. Um, you know, their spirits having a physical uh, experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the maturity of uh, my children, uh, their parents. I'm so proud. So very proud. Um, not surprised, but just so very proud. They're great parents. Man, that's so I think, uh, well, the feedback I get from my mother and from my grandfather, I have one... Uh, grandparent mm-hmm. still with us and uh there's always the uh the like it's a mix of like like attaboy like good mm-hmm. job but also like you know oh man look at the baby so mm-hmm. you know and I'll be like oh man you will be pumping her head up <laughs> he got some more work to do yes. you know what I'm saying but yes. they're like whatever that's my you know that's my grandbaby right yeah but okay what you talking about right man? uh you spoke of uh, having time with your your grandparents, and I want to ask you this because I was talking to inter- interview early this year. Mm-hmm. Um, generationally, some of us like folks my age, we don't have the experience of going back and forth between sort of the north and the south, right? In the way that it was, you know, when you know when you were a young man. Oh no. Right? Is there anything that you recall? Because your grandparents were they up here or were they back down in? No, man. So. Uh my grandpa Ernest, uh, who was my father's father, and I believe there were a total of 12 children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and out of those 12, there's only one left, my dear Aunt Pearlie. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I recall the um, vehicle trips, right? So every other year, we'd either go to Texas or we'd go to Louisiana. And then one year, we did the double trip, right? Mm-hmm. But We'd load up the Pontiac. There'd be boxes of sandwiches and cold fried chicken and and cake and, you know, and daddy and mama and my sister and I, 
we have a brother, but um, he came along much later. We'd be rolling, and Daddy didn't like to stop. Um, you know, if we did stop at a motel, what I knew is that there seemed to be tension. I didn't mm -hmm. really know what the interaction was mm -hmm. at the desk, but I just always knew there was tension. But there was one time, and um, I had a pretty active metabolism, you know, I had to use the restroom. My daddy pulled into a gas station, and the man was really harsh to my father, and I watched my father drop his eyes and speak in a way that I had never seen before, mm -hmm. almost begging the man to let him, my father, him, take his son to the bathroom. It was a white man, and I remember he said, he said, over there, and he's pointing. Well, I'd never been into a damn outhouse before. And I mean, it was just as raggedy and smelly as you could imagine. <laughs> No toilet paper. My daddy had to use his pocket handkerchief uh, to help me clean. And we had to wash our hands in the tire dunk. Mm. That stuck with me. Mm. As well as um, I do remember uh, my father saying, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to just drive all night, you know. And uh, I was just like, wow. You know, but once we got there... Um, you know, my grandpa Ernest loved me. He didn't really know me. I mean, we lived way up in Seattle, Washington. You know, they're down there. And, uh, you know, America, I will admit this, um, you know, the accommodations were tight. So I had to bunk in with Papa. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wet the bed. Mm. And Papa did not yell at me, wow, didn't, didn't ridicule me and nothing. He said, oh, boy, he said, well... We just won't drink as much Kool-Aid tomorrow, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, it was country, man. It was, man, there were mules and chickens and pigs and big anthills that stepped in a, a fire anthill. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and then in Texas, it's totally the difference, right? Texas, there was Nanny, uh, my mother's mother, and... Uh, we would stay at her house, small little house, little shotgun house. And um, then as times change, you know, we'd, we'd like be at a motel. But, you know, there was like the town of Brackenridge and half the, half the people that lived there were the relatives, you mm -hmm. know. So, uh, but first time I ever really swam in a river, you know, uh, or seen a snake, you know, um, that kind of stuff. But... Uh, my grandfather Ernest passed away early in my life, but my nanny, Grandma McCurry, she lived to be 94 years old. She actually, my parents brought her up, and she stayed with us in Seattle for her last, uh, I think, maybe 10 years of life, you know. And she always sewed for us. Okay. She's a seamstress by profession. Okay. And uh, so whenever she would come, everybody got something sewn. And I kept my denim jacket, now, you know, this is the 70s, with the big butterfly collar uh. and the tie. <laughs> Bro, I kept that thing until I damn near graduated from uh, college, you know. Uh, it was just special. Yeah. You know? I can imagine. I can imagine. So, 
You know, I remember um, similar to the story you shared about your father, my mother, relaying to me, like, on a trip down to North Carolina from New Jersey, like, seeing her father, my grandfather, um, on that side, you know, sort of a lot, like, having to talk, talking to a white man in a way she never saw right. him right. let anybody talk to right. him, right. you know, back home in New Jersey and right. in Trenton. Right. And, um, and, I, and I, I like to, I like to, with history and our community and, and relation, you know, what, what we've experienced, I like to try to get people to, you know, to move it out of this sort of like, well, what we got thing. Where we're mm-hmm. like, well, like, well, now it's like this, but it ain't really that much different. I'm like, mm-hmm. I hear what you're trying to say, man, but. There's difference. Like, if you talk to your peoples about yeah. how they felt day to day, because yeah. there's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of stuff, and it's stuff that, you know, as a younger man, you may not understand, like, a, you know, an elder who's, who's proud in a certain kind of right. way about right. certain stuff. Right. And I've learned that sometimes some of that is due to how you're trying to maintain your, your respect and mm-hmm. everything else in a world in a that in a much more hostile way is day to day challenging you about mm-hmm. you know about that. So I just always I know them stories are there. Oh, brother. I can't imagine the drive. I don't know how long the drive is from it's, here. It's three days. Yes. Yeah, it's three days if they got their foot on the gas. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> gas was like 16 cents a gallon. But, you know, I will say this. That whole different way, right, to see my father's square shoulders, right, droop, mm-hmm. right, to see him lower his head and his eyes and to speak in a low tone with no assertiveness. Man, I will never forget that, right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I mean... Uh, it's not that today's current 21st century issues aren't as important, mm-hmm. but I, I truly feel like you got to remember that. Mm-hmm. You, you got to remember that. Just like, you know, people are talking about Bloody Sunday. You got to remember that, mm-hmm. right? As we move forward, remember that. You know, I don't mean, I don't mind being called an old head. I mean, being an old head is... It is what it is. Thank, thank the creator. I thank the one to be an old head, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but we, we definitely want to share what we know and support uh, the next ones up, mm-hmm. you know. But we're not going to forget, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is like, yeah, you know, Things are important in today's context, but, you know, there's also another set of lenses to put on. Yeah, 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 I feel you. Um, well, thank you, thank you, Chief. I appreciate you taking us down there. So, um, at this point, I want to open this up a little bit, okay? And, okay. And you're, like, a, you're like a therapist? Yes, sir, you yes, sir. Because there's a couple, you know things I want us to touch on that are more, you know, you know, you have a wealth of experience, uh, you know, as a, as a retired officer, um, certainly, um, and as a community member, and I think a unique experience, um, with this city, you know what I'm saying? In Northeast mm-hmm. Portland mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the history and, 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 and I think because you grew up in the CD and then you were an adult, he, you know what I mean? Here, mm-hmm. you got a you got a real special 
understanding of, of, of black Northwestism. Yes. I'll call it maybe Pacific that's I'm, Northwestism. Yeah, I'm gonna call it Black Pacific North. We come with an acronym. Oh, all right. Um, what is something somebody who's not from here, um, not from this part of the country, especially someone that's black that's not from this part of the country, mm-hmm. but maybe anybody, mm-hmm. what's something that they should understand about growing up and living in this part of the country? Well, I, in I, your I, estimation, I'd have to say that um, we had more proximic uh, contact with um, Caucasians, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, uh, you know, the other side of it is uh, there's a whole lot of that whole melting pot thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, um, as I think about it, I, I do believe we grew up uh, privileged, uh, but provided that privilege by the hustle, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all of my partners I grew up with, you know, our parents, uh, our daddies hustled. Mom held down the house. Mm-hmm. And we got old enough, moms always went to work, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that exposure, right, so there, um, there's a particular amount of empowerment that came through that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and... Um, I say um, maybe a bit of a myopic experience or myopic experience because you're like in a little bubble, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it's, it's like, well, I get along with Johnny. You know, I get along with Susie and Sally. Um, I don't go to their house a lot, but, mm. um, <laughs> you know, we all go to church together. We go to school together. This fly is killing me. Um, <laughs> and... Um, you know, so I'm gonna have to get, hit him with the buzzer. I'm gonna have to hit him with the with the, with the <laughs> hit him with the zip zap <laughs> thing. Uh, but um, it's um, it's a unique existence, right? Because then, when you become an adult, when you become an adult, now that'll be good for the listening audience. Yeah. Yeah, I live in the hood. We got flies. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, when you become an adult, you know, then you become aware of the sameness of um, what it was like for my folks, mm. right? I mean, it's like that whole corporate, uh, hyper-aggressive, now they de- determine as micro-aggressive, but just all that stuff what goes with, yeah, but I'm still the only one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still the only one. I mean, you know, you're looking around for your brother and your sister, and it's like, you know, every 20 white people, then there's like two or three black people, right? Whether it's school, whether it's, you know, employment, uh, even um, relationship-wise, right? I mean, I got no problem. You know, love is love. It is what it is. But what I did notice is people who were not from here really didn't understand if you were dating someone out of your um, ethnic group mm-hmm. it was like you got the stank face man it was just like this, you know everybody right, do that <laughs> it's like hey you know we're all cool but um, I think the other thing about being in the Pacific Northwest is uh, in the cities highly democratic in the rural areas highly Republican. 
there's more rural area than uh, urban area. And, you know, I, I went from uh, Seattle in the CD to Yakima, Washington, uh -huh. right? Reservation, right? Mm. And then from the reservation, short stop in Montana, and then um, ended up here in Portland, mm. right? And so it's like, man, 45 minutes outside of Portland, yeah. If if you look like us, it's a rough go. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Definitely some. <laughs> it's, it's, welcome it's, to you, town. Yeah. Welcome to town. And when you what leave brings it, you? What you, brings what, you? What brings way? you here? Yeah. And when you leave it, <laughs> you know. Um, you played in the state of that. Yeah. Really. Really. You know. Um, and so you know you carry these artifacts with you. As, I'm educated. I went to this school. I went to that school. Or, this is my profession. Um, really didn't seem to matter. Mm. You know, um, as as I got older, right? I mean, you are you're in the skin you're in, mm -hmm. you know, and and that that clearly the subtleties of discrimination and racism here are much different than in the South, and I think in the um, in the um, Southeast, um, you know, I don't know if I got to your question or not, but. Oh, you got to the question. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I asked that because I think, uh, well, one, I think every, I mean, it's been said, and I, and I can't remember, and I'd like to, to get the correct, the quote, you know, give credit if I can remember, but there are as uh, many ways to be black as there are black people. Yes. And, and the external question I get about up here um, is, you know, when first, I mean, first is always, are there black people there? Which I always have to say yes. <laughs> and then the second thing is like, well, just like what's, you know, what I mean, the, 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 at times the lack of imagination sometimes in our community around like how other ways, yes, other yes. people are, yes, are living. You know, is is is, I mean, it's just a fascinating phenomenon. Now, I grew up in New Jersey, which maybe because where I grew up, it gives you a little bit of. I I, I know uh, New Jersey briefly. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Blackwood, Clemington, and yeah. uh, you know we had this conversation about Camden. It's like, hey, look, if you ain't from there, you don't need to be up in there. Yeah, you need to have a plan. Like what you, <laughs> what you, what you. It's not a, it's not a passing through. Let me oh, no. stop in this spot to have a beer. No, no, kind brother, of town no. necessarily. Uh, like, I used to hang out in Philly, tough man, and uh, I had a good friend and. Uh, uh, they were in Blackwood, Clemington, and then, you know, we'd have to go through Camden, and it was just like, you know, red lights. Ain't nobody stopping for a red light, right? That that was the first thing that was an indicator is, like, don't stop, right? And uh, you don't have to worry about the street lights because they're all busted out, right? Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, it's just like when the sun goes down, it's just dark. Yeah, you need to you need to have a, a clarity of vision, as I yes, like to say. You yes, yes. I mean? Not you, not putting it down. Yeah, but, but I'm just saying it's it, it, and it's the thing, and I, and I think it's something that a lot of folks could connect to. Our, sometimes our communities, due to the, the situation we've been in and the circumstances around us, there's things that go on. There's industries that are set up. And most of those industries are not kind to 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 looky loos and passerbys, no. no. and everybody is a potential threat. No. So therefore, if you just breezing through here and you got un, you got out of state plates or you got a funny haircut, mm -hmm. don't look like you from around here. You got your rental car. You know, people mm -hmm. got questions. You know what I mean? Like I told, I mean, I told you when I first came up here, 
you know, I, I scoped, I went and did the research, figure out where, like, you know, where, where the world, the universe, the internet said that black people was at. And I said, all right, they said in Northeast, this, you know, this corner right over there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to pull up and I'm just, you know, I, I've got enough. I know how to go in. Right. And, the, you know, I'm going to go in in the regular business hours. I ain't coming in at 930. Right. Talking about what's cracking up here. Like, you know, <laughs> like, no, nah, like, what you mean what's cracking? Who are you? I was going to say, what's happening? What do you want to happen, right. brother? Right. Like, I'm coming through. I'm trying to get a, get a do commerce. You know what I mean? I'm going to buy, see if I can buy a final call from the brothers or, uh-huh. or go to the, I went to Reflections when it was mm-hmm. open. I'm going to get a coffee. Oh, yeah. And get Gloria. A book. Gloria McMurdy. Yeah. That yeah. was such a treasure. Yeah. That was such a treasure. That and uh, Mother Dears. Oh, see, I don't think I've oh man, Mother Dears, the best cafe, deli, hands down, and her sweet potato tarts, mm. her sweet potato pies, see, like her soups, all vegetarian soups, just uh, wonderful, man. As a matter of fact, I think Zupans used to carry her, her craft uh, mm. for a long time, you know, until she stopped baking, and... Mm. Um, that's dope. Uh, I think Brother uh, Tory Campbell mm-hmm. uh, is related to uh, uh, Mother Dear, Mother uh, Mother uh, Hardy. I think she's a Hardy. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, those two spots. So, you know, you, you come into, because I, I think it's something that, I mean, it's turned into this other thing external from our community, but there's a thing about respect. If you coming into somebody else's right, town, right? Because right, this is right, your town. Right, you know what I'm saying? I'm not gonna come right. to your town and, and act all kind of any old kind of way. Right. Because you live here, and I don't live here, and and we know that the the there's an attracting power to the new black person when there's already like, oh, he from he from somewhere else. Like, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, it was even like that between uh, you know, what we used to call the 206 versus the 503, right? We come down here from Seattle, man, and it was like. You know the newest toy on the shelf, and so <laughs> some people was friendly, and some people were not. But you know, um, I say this: no family, so that your family can hook you up with someone to know, to be your pathfinder, mm-hmm. right? And because both communities were so compressed, right? I mean, you from the East Coast, bro. So when when did you ever experience a black community compressed into like? 50 blocks, right? I mean, and that was it. Like, you go outside the 50 blocks, it's like, that's, mm, yeah, that's, that, that's it. That's all the black people. That, that's all the black people, right? Yeah, so uh, that that dynamic made it um, uh, a bit different, almost like a small town, because so many people are uh, uh, family to one another. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I married my wife, and I, <laughs> I became instant relative to a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. you know, um, People I knew and so forth, but didn't know we were related. The, yeah, didn't yeah, know it was like yeah. that. Yeah, and I think that that is a phenomenon that, I mean, even being from being from the Northeast, especially, mm-hmm. right, where, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I know about the black people in the towns you talk, you spoke of in New Jersey, mm-hmm. but there's other people, even in Philly, who are like, where, they got black people? I'm like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of black people, yeah. and actually, like, there's, we all over the place, yes. in different spots, yes. right? Boom, you pop in, you pop out. Yes. Um, so it's hard to imagine, like, if you go 200 miles east of Portland, mm-hmm. you know, staying on this side of the river, mm-hmm. there's no... There's no close next town with like 
half as many black people. It's hard. It's a hard concept, I think, to grasp. Yeah. Because especially if you live like in the Northeast or even the Midwest. So if you live in Detroit, Gary, mm-hmm. Chicago, mm-hmm. Uh, even Kalamazoo and right. you know the other side, like you have at least a, a vision of right. there's a lot of people over there right. and it's only two hours away. Or right. Whatever, right. Right. But in the Northwest, it's like uh-uh. it's two spots. There's <laughs> two spots, right? <laughs> Seattle, Tacoma, Portland. You know, uh, maybe the college towns mm-hmm. when college is in session, and after that. You might as well just be a traveler, you know, and it's interesting. You said, you know, 200 miles east. I mean, we've got our indigenous brothers and sisters. Yeah. yeah. You know, but other than that, you definitely going to get the hey, stranger. <laughs> new in town. <laughs> You're huh? new in town. Oh, you know, we're out of gas. Well, I, I just need regular. We're out of that. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I tell you, I mean, since in the time I've been here, I've, I've actually I've never had no no weirdness. But I know, you know, t- today is not the past <laughs> as it no, pertains to the North. No, you know, I think some people are a little bit more sophisticated. But, you know, you get you get the vibe. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go someplace even at the coast, mm-hmm. you know, Lincoln City, Cannon Beach, you know, I mean, you you go places and you know that your skin bag isn't one that comes through the doors often, mm-hmm. right? So you deal with looks and doubts and don't know about service. You know, I'm not going to indict anybody, right? But, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of a different thing. Um, uh, you know, I'll tell you what's interesting. One of the most shocking things is after the uh, Mulugunta Seurat uh, murder mm-hmm. and then Tom Metzger trial, and um, we had a uh, family event to uh, attend in all places, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, oh, wow. Luckily, we were at the resort, but I had never been so mortified, actually frightened. You know, I have a whole family in a car, and, you know... Um, we had as much protection as we had, but it was like we we had code words and plans mm. for if when we crossed over through Spokane, it didn't go well, how we were going to do it to include me jumping out the car and my wife just taking off. Uh. Right. And I'll never forget, we arrived at the resort, you know, and the general manager of the resort, you know, had a big reception and stuff. And it's like, and we want to make sure that you that are attending know that you are welcome here. And I mean, everyone. And I'm like looking at this cat and I'm like, dude, you know, you, you could have done without saying any of that. Right. Um, we didn't take any of the excursions off the resort. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the resort, uh, Lake Coeur d'Alene. Beautiful place. But, yeah, I've heard, I've heard it's quite beautiful. But totally unsafe. Matter of fact, Idaho itself, just the thought of Idaho is frightening, <laughs> right? Even though I've been told, hey, Boise's cool. There's an Air Force base and a college there. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of like uh, the uh, Portlandia of that part of our country in the Pacific Northwest. But... When you think about, you know, when you were talking about uh, the grandchildren, I do not want them to fear for their safety so they do not partake in activities that mm-hmm. could enrich their lives, yeah. right? Um, 
I don't want them to not enjoy the out of doors. I don't want them to not want to go hiking and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the things that are in the places where we're not. Yeah. Right. I don't want them to have to deal with that. And, and so that's that's truly a driver. Um, I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, and I'm saying that globally. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's a hell of a thing. You think about you have um, immigrants come to our town that uh, they may be from uh, a European country, right? Mm-hmm. And they learn the N-word and how to treat us horribly as fast as they learn the language. Yeah. And that just trips me out. Yeah. I'm like, you just spent time in a refugee camp and you're, f- you're fleeing some type of government that's oppressive. And then you come here and learn how to oppress those that are right. being oppressed here. It's almost as somebody gave you a handbook. Hey, so when you get here, so yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's the basics. Hey, when you see that, oh, man, that's what you say. Yeah, that's you, it. Don't uh, worry about that. I'll uh, put you in a oh my God. position. Yeah, it, it is absolutely <laughs> just... Um, uh, an extraordinarily numbing thing, and I, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's. I like to think of it analogy I've been having. It's sort of like it's old software for how to how to run things, <laughs> yeah. right? And yeah. and 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 the world, you know, the world hasn't hasn't given up everything about that software just mm-hmm. yet. But uh, there's a lot of pieces of it that are no longer they're just they're just not that useful anymore. But well, it still lingers. The mainframe is still uh, yeah. still running things. It still it still had that what they say it got a Unix in the back. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like it still got the, still got the legacy software that deep. Yes. Deep, yes. deep in there. Yes. Fortran and, they, and Cobol. And they're trying to you yeah. know, build this iteration, <laughs> build this other stuff on top. You know what I'm saying? So you don't got it. You know, and it, but you know, at some point you got to just build all new servers and systems and new cable, new hardware, and new, new software. You know, and you say, yeah, we're just gonna take that old model. We're just gonna take yeah. that whole thing right up out of there. Yeah. And, um, That's a great analogy. You know, I, I, I think you know, you no, know, for me, is a part of us having to be a part of that. You know, what's the new hardware gonna mm-hmm. be? You know, what I'm saying we mm-hmm. got to be involved, and then, then, then things can be different. And um, so I want to pivot because one thing I want to make sure we talk about before we, I get you all. You know, I want to keep you all night. Is the uh, me and you. Have been doing some work, and will continue to be doing work around uh, yeah, public policy as it relates to public, you know, public safety, peace, mm-hmm. police, uh, law enforcement. You spoke to some of the pieces that you're on in the 21st century policing report. I wanted to get a little bit of a snippet from you, and you don't got to go long on each of them, but the pillars. Well, there's 116 pages in the original piece. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to start with the content or the appendix? <laughs> well, what I'm going to say is, you know, all us grown folks, I'm going to put the PDF okay. on the internet. They need to read the whole report. Oh, but absolutely. I'm, all I really want to do is just get a, a bite on each of the six pillars. Because I think bite. that is, if you get like, you know, a minute, two minutes, a just, little, a, just a little, little taste. bite. Just a little taste. You a know little what I mean? Taste. So we make sure we can give people a, uh, you know, we give them a place to start. As we, you know, keep generating this conversation and making sure people realize there are, there's been great work done yes. that people can build on to make things different. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, and it doesn't, 
So, you know, because we like to reinvent the wheel every time. That's actually a part of the old software is, hey, hey let's have a new study mm-hmm. every 10 years when mm-hmm. things blow up and mm-hmm. act like we didn't have the other study mm-hmm. that told us the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I wonder if you could give us, give me, you know, take me into the, to the first pillar. Well, a uh, little backstory. Um, I'm sure most people remember the tragedy in uh, Ferguson, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And uh, post-Ferguson, Missouri, the then-president, uh, Mr. Uh, Barack Hussein Obama, uh, convened uh, thought leaders in uh, public safety. And uh, between his convening and uh, the professional organization IACP and the Department of Justice, uh, at the time, I think, um, uh, Her Honor, uh, Madam uh, Loretta Lynch, uh, was uh, running Department of Justice, and then uh, I think um, uh, before that, Eric Holder. But in any event, the convening occurred, the thought leaders uh, got together and produced um, a white paper uh, called 21st Century Policing, right? And it's just really in embodying the best of... Uh, theory and practice uh, so that our um, profession could mature and grow towards equity and procedural justice and and restorative justice. But so like the first pillar is uh, building trust and legitimacy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, in, in my opinion, uh, You've got to have that whether you're in policing or whether you're in a business with customers or whether you're a neighbor, right? You, you've got to have trust and legitimacy uh, between yourself and uh, those that you interact with. The lack of that, um, well, it's been seen, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have exorbitant numbers of um, disparate stops, right? Racial and ethnic disparity in stops, in searches. And we're talking nationally and also, you know, some of this hits home at Oregon um, and that people of color have no trust of public safety, right? They're either getting um, beefs that are not uh, truthful Mm -hmm. or they're overcharged or, you know, they're heavily surveilled, or, uh, and I don't mean to say they, um, I really say we when I talk about this in other circumstances because, you know, out of uniform, quite frankly, and most officers will tell you this, I'm just another black man or woman behind the wheel of a car or walking down the street Mm -hmm. or walking into an elevator. Um, And, um, you know, so without trust and legitimacy, you cannot hope to have collaborative interaction with the communities that you police, right? And so I generally think that there's a community of interest, which is like the global community, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, you should have trust and legitimacy with everyone. It seems, though, historically, there's less trust and legitimacy in uh, communities where the majority of the population are Mm non-white, right? Mm -hmm. And so then there's the geographic community, and that's what I'm talking about. Mm. If in the geographic community 
the expectation is based on um, whereas coaches say you're uh, teaching me how to treat you, right? Mm-hmm. So the police are teaching the populations how to treat them, which is like we don't like you because yeah. the way you treat us, yeah. right? And even even when police organizations say no, it's the other way around. It's like no, it can't it can't possibly be that, right? right? You can't you can't possibly say that because my son or nephew was wearing the latest clothing styles mm-hmm. and driving what would be a regular sedan, but now it's got big wheels and big music and straight pipes on it. Mm-hmm. That they are a suspect in anything. Right. They're just a young person living life, right? Or that a grown man is just living life, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so there's that breakdown, right? So you're not going to get cooperation. Uh, you're not going to get information that can help. Um, you're not going to get the support at a time of crisis because without trust, in legitimacy, you have no relationship, right? Yeah. The time of crisis is not to say, hey, <laughs> let's have a relationship, right? Hey, I know that last time you seen me, I was uh, I was sweating you about your, about a, your rear light or something ridiculous that doesn't really matter. Right. But, you know, right now we got this real serious thing, and I need you to give me all of the trust. Yes, <laughs> yes, give me all the trust. Let me let me ride you to the station. Yes, let me pick yes. this person. Tell me where this person yes, is at so yes, I can talk to yes, them. Yes, I like, know I took you to jail for a suspended license because you had uh, several thousand dollars in FTA uh, uh uh, charges um, because you were choosing to go to work or take care of the children or mm-hmm. take care of a, a elder in your family or maybe you have some other presenting issues that just really prevented you from making that schedule, Mm-mm. right? And so now I know you got a warrant. Uh, you know, if we can talk, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> I won't put you in jail for that warrant today. Right. You know, trust and legitimacy. And I know some of my peers in the profession, you know, um, it is anathema to them when I talk about the police and the community and what I know about policing and what I believe about um, how things are for people of color when they interact with the police. Now, generally speaking, you know, as a 60-plus-some-year-old man, uh, I worry, but I'm not as worried, Mm -hmm. right? But for someone younger or someone that um, uh, doesn't have the same supportive factors in life, you know, my reality about that is not their reality. Yeah. You know? Who? PJG. Yeah, I think... uh I mean, I'll say this is something uh, just generally, like, if you have trust, you know it automatically. Yes. And if you don't have trust, it's going to take a minute <laughs> yes. before we can move forward. And you got to work on that before you can really work on anything else. Yes. Um, cool, cool. So the second pillar is policy and oversight. And I think, you know, I mean, I mean, I think most people could could figure that one out but what would you say just briefly like what that what that means well uh, because i'm a policy geek mm-hmm. I, I i love this one uh particularly because um great policy 
informs practice, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have great policy, you'll have great practice and great practitioners. If the policy is weak, you have weak practice and um, practitioners that aren't proficient. And you must always check what you expect, right? So uh, you've got to use as much as uh, you can to measure the effectiveness of the practice based on the policy. And if it's not correct, you must change, mm -hmm. right? And um, I say that speaks volumes to most uh, agencies. You'll find that there's policies that not only are outdated, just don't make sense anymore. And, um, you know, but there are also policies that were never enacted um, that might make a lot of sense, right? For some jurisdictions, it might make a lot of sense for people employed as public safety officers to live in the community, right, within mm -hmm. the city limits. Um, I mean, policy and practice. It, it, it may be that um, you have an agency where you discourage mere conversational stops, Right. I mean, the most important thing to an American is their liberty, mm -hmm. right? The freedom, the freedom to do and move freely, mm -hmm. you know, to go and come as they please. So if you have a practice based on a policy that really just seeks to extract, right? Um, and, you know, it's old cookbook method. Right? Oh, it's a mere conversation. Hey, hi there, Justice. How are you doing today? <laughs> Same way I was yesterday. Hey, you know, my name's Officer So-and-so. And what was your name? Huh? Where are you going? Oh, hey, no, no, we're just having a conversation. <laughs> you know, this is a high-vice area here, and there's a lot of people that are up to really nefarious things. I mean, I, you seem like a nice fellow. I can't imagine that you'd be involved in any of that, would you? Are you? You wouldn't have any paraphernalia in your pockets that would suggest that you're involved in that. Mind if I check? Mm. Well, you know, it sounds corny. I will tell you, effective practice to extract and just throw a heavy, wet blanket, right, on a community. Well, you think you're solving the problem, right? Mm. Well, you may stop one individual, but there's like, you know... 150 more, they're going to go to the same house or mm -hmm. walk to the same corner, right? I mean, so um, you've, you've got to be wise enough, I think, as you, as you craft your policy or review your policies to see what is working, what is not, what's legal, what's not legal. Mm -hmm. I mean, most, most uh, uh, researchers and, and legal eagles will still tell you that there's a bit of cloudiness in the water between probable cause and reasonable suspicion, right? Mm. Even though the laws are written, it's like you reasonably suspect, mm. you know, or you had probable cause to believe. Well, why do you believe that? Could it be because you're socialized to believe that everyone that looks that way and walks that way and talks that way is probably up to no good, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You know, so um, I think policy and oversight, and I think it's also a door that opens for um, 
the community because you um, can involve the communities of interest and the geographic community in crafting your policies, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you've got to do more than just say, hey, our new policy's online. Please check it out and write us a message, <laughs> right? I mean, okay, so. Please uh, go read that uh, yeah, web page. Yeah, take the survey monkey. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it's got to be more robust than that mm -hmm. um, with meaning, yeah. with meaning. Indeed, indeed. And I think the oversight piece, just that, you know, that there is actually the ability to evaluate, to ask questions, to yes. investigate, to go, hmm. Yes. Can we step back and take a look at it? So, um, you know, that's real big here in Portland. I know Commissioner Hardesty has a ballot measure that's moving forward uh, to rebuild the oversight uh, mechanism for the city of Portland. Um, I'm also aware that the city auditor has um, their own thoughts on what that should be like. Currently, we have IPR, which is independent police review, uh, but they don't have subpoena power. And... Um, they really don't have the ability to dispense uh, discipline, mm -hmm. right? So oversight. I mean, um, I think that uh, you can provide great oversight uh, on a cursory level uh, or you can provide oversight on a robust level that really is committed, it's thorough, it's forward-facing, it's outward-facing to the community, right? Not mm -hmm. inward-facing uh, to protect uh, the participants uh, in uh, uh, law enforcement. Indeed. So, let's see. So, technology and social media, um, my understanding is, is, is that pillar is, is more about sort of, um, I mean, I guess right there on the face of it, how how you engage in those spaces, especially the way I, I always think about with social media these days, how much information people get and that they use as actionable. Absolutely. Based on social media. Um, but also there's still, a I think, a huge gap and lack of sophistication <laughs> with that and mm -hmm. potential for um, the same biases that will cause maybe me or you to be stopped, especially depending on what car we're driving versus, um, you know, other people. So, you know, um, I do know that when the roundtables were first convening, you know, the conversations about um, having um, body cameras was mm -hmm. real, real intense. And in some instances, I think the, that has been rethought uh, because there's a lot of issues Right. Mm -hmm. There are constitutional issues with the images. Um, who's the keeper of the images? How long are the images going to be kept? Mm -hmm. What if the person doesn't want their image taken? Mm -hmm. You know, what if um, there are compromising circumstances? You know, so um, I think that part of the technological conversation has ended up. Uh, at a stalemate, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Um, now, the other uses of technology, there used to be in uh, legal terms for the profession that if the technology was more sophisticated than what you could buy at Kmart, you had to go get a warrant, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, the problem now is that Kmart has a lot of technology, <laughs> right? So... 
Um, you know, are you using the technology to support crime prevention and reduction like um, ShotSpotter? I like ShotSpotter. I like ShotSpotter combined with CCTV. The challenge is the CCTV is always rolling, mm -hmm. right? So, again, who keeps the images, right? Uh, and the cost. And all of this, uh, by the way, is old military R&D. So if you're going to now prohibit the usage of military hardware, that would include technology as well, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it's, it's, again, it's a conundrum. Uh, but there are good things to use technology for, mm -hmm. uh, for, for DNA research so that you catch perpetrators that have gone free for decades, mm -hmm. um, for um, actually helping uh, solve or intervene in um, criminal activity that is ultimately deadly and dangerous uh, for the communities, right? Doesn't mean helicopters, right? Mm -hmm. But doesn't mean drones, right. you mm -hmm. know? <laughs> um, I, I actually think that technology is going to play a role in uh, reducing the use of firearms to enforce the law. Mm -hmm. uh, but the challenge is, what will that technology ultimately do to the human that it's yeah, used on, right? right? So right. you've got an ethical question. I still believe there's got to be a way to utilize technology to really slow things down and yet still leave uh, public safety officers safe and, and the public safe. Mm -hmm. um, social media is for storytelling. It's for interaction. I know there's a certain segment of the society, even us old heads, that use that technology for mm -hmm. those purposes, but not all the time, yeah. right? But um, we also know that there's a, a, a large... Uh, percentage of the population that that is 100% the way that they communicate and coordinate their day, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and on the community side, I think use the technology. You know, have that app that pulls up the questions that you might ask if you happen to be stopped, right? Or mm -hmm. that you can plug in an officer's uh, badge number, right, or a personal ID number, and you know who that officer is. Right. Um, Confirm. That there's... That they're actually uh, yes. a police officer yes. and not somebody in person. Yes. And or if something goes wrong, if they're not, if they're not coming forward with information they should right. be providing, you can go, wait a minute, right. I know exactly who you are. Right. You or right here. that you could pull up information about your location and the nearest supervisor is going to get pinged, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's a simple thing, right? Or um, that there's a shared database of officers who have use of force complaints uh, that are exorbitant uh, or have been involved in uh, deadly physical force incidents. Now, again, anathema to my peers that I shared time with in the profession. But, you know, as a citizen, I've got to say, sounds reasonable to me, <laughs> right? And, and this is the thing. Yeah. Trust and legitimacy. If if I know I have options to verify what you're doing is right or to verify that what you're doing is wrong, 
I think those options should be available. You know, it used to be really the thought was that most people that we dealt with had no idea what the laws of the state or the city were, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that, you know, just like we used to get telephone books, mm-hmm. right, even though big print media is out of style, I suggest every home have a print copy of the ORS and the city, the city code book. And if you don't like paper, you can get them online. I mm-hmm. think they should just be pushed out, right? So you know. Right. You can, you can at least, you, I mean, it's a total, uh, it's intentional that we are not pushed to learn these things. Correct. Or to access them. Correct. Right? Like, um, and it's also, then it becomes the, you know, becomes the sort of the stigmatizing joke of like the jailhouse lawyer or your cousin that, did some time or you if it's you but you know that relative they come back and they know all the, they know all the laws now yes. right and then the, but part of that for them was a was ability to take control of a situation where they didn't have any control so right. wait a minute if i know all the rules right then i can i can speak your language now when you pull up on me if i'm you know you think i'm doing this now i might be doing something I think it's as important as knowing your zip code, at least knowing where to go get the information. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just believe that that is a must, right? If you've got to take a driving test and you have the capacity to learn how to drive correctly, um, then you should have the capacity to at least access the information Mm -hmm. that are in those documents. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's very important. Absolutely. Um, Cool. Let's bring out these last two because I don't want to. Officer training and education. Now, can you, can you touch on this one? Because, you know, most folks, when when the concept of training comes up, you know, because that concept has been sort of used at a time, a way to kick stuff down. To, oh, we got to do some different training. And then, you know, but still matters that people are trained <laughs> and how they're trained and sure. then what they're accessing. Can you? Speak to, like, the importance of that pillar, like what's something in there that folks may... Well, I think you flip the paradigm. Um, You know, in most training academies, they talk about hard skills versus soft skills. And the uh, soft skills have always been those things that (laughs) give you the ability to relate to other humans, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? As opposed to the hard skills being uh, uh, driving and shooting and defensive tactics and that type of thing. I think you flipped the paradigm uh, because teaching someone how to manipulate a machine or an object, it can be done. It's done by repetition. Mm-hmm. But the skills of uh, relating to human beings uh, is a skill that must be learned experientially. Mm-hmm. And um, I think... Um, I think the history of uh, your jurisdiction, the bad and the good history, uh, is critically important. I think that involving uh, the community, right, of interest in your training uh, is vitally important. You know, I'd love it to see um, community members chosen as mentors for uh, newer officers coming on, Mm. you know, that extends beyond their probationary period, right? Right now, probationary period is 18 months, a year and a half. You know, uh, the academy, I think, is um, 16 weeks. Mm. 
mm-hmm. um, which uh, with the amount of hours, it's not quite 700 hours, I don't believe, which is lower on the national standards for training. Mm-hmm. Um, I think training should be decentralized. Um, yes, there's a reason to have some centralized training because you really have to train to the lowest common denominator because there's so many agencies that mm-hmm. have to be state certified. But I think within that, um, we should be looking at a model that requires recertification, right? Almost like a license uh, to practice, right? If it's a profession, um, then you should have professional licensure. Um, And I think there's some assets that just totally get unused. You know, we've got a state full of community colleges, mm-hmm. um, and yet we have to centralize the training academy in one place in the middle, maybe the middle of Oregon, um, for 16 weeks. And then some people in those agencies aren't ever coming back there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and in the state of Oregon, you can get hired and be a public safety officer, and you just have to attend within the first year of hire. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Right? Get a gun, you get a badge, you get a fast car. And that's it. Yeah. And that's it. You, you just have to attend within the first year of hire. So I think there's ways to adjust. And then, you know, the hiring standards. You know, it used to be Multnomah County Sheriff's Office, you had to have a four-year degree. It used to be with Portland Police Bureau, you had to have a four-year degree. Then it went down to a two-year degree. Now it's like high school and any relevant experience, you know, or a combination of military relevant experience and a high school diploma um, or GD. Um, and I think the expert opinion is still out on that, what makes a well-educated person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, someone that legitimately can come do this job. I don't know. You know, uh, age of twenty-one is the uh, age that you can be hired. Is that too low of an age? I mean, modern brain science says that your frontal lobe isn't finished you developing might until not be like wrapped yet. You might still need yeah, <laughs> a couple yeah, more years of seasoning. Yeah, twenty-eight, twenty-nine years of age. You know, so. At 21, is that who we want doing the job? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and that, that would speak to me, too, to think about, like, is there some sort of step step role between, right, where we can get you, maybe you, you can get that community seasoning and relationships. Yes. yes. And and even that, um, that, 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 that intervention, you know, showing up on the scene, being present stuff. Yes. Before. Yes. You get a fast car yes. and a gun. Yes, <laughs> yes. When we, I mean, and when that, sounds, that sounds uh, a, a little bit disingenuous, but, you know, um, I think currently most of the uh, hiring classes at the city, the educational experience is extremely um, large for most of the new hires, mm-hmm. um, at least master's degree, um, some with doctorates. Um, does that help? Probably. Should it be a must? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I, I don't know. I mean, one of the better people that I ever worked with was a person that they were a jet airline 
engine mechanic. <laughs> and at about 35 years of age said, you know, I've always wanted to do this. I'm going to go do this. Mm. Great officer. Great officer. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, it, it, it really depends on the will, I think, of the people and their electeds. You know, some people believe there should be a superintendent of public safety rather than a, a chief and then a commissioner that you direct report to, mm -hmm. right? Um, and just let the chief be basically the manager of the bureau. Mm -hmm. But the superintendent is the CEO. They are the person almost with as much um, uh, ability as an elected commissioner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's... There's a lot of thought on that. Um, there's a lot of thought that no one should be a chief unless they have a, a law degree and maybe an MBA or maybe both, um, as opposed to running off to the FBI Academy or the Naval War College or um, uh, some of the certificate programs uh, that are offered uh, that, that seemingly qualify you to be a chief. Mm. Hmm. We have to come. Well, we'll you know we'll have to explore that. And so the, the the last pillar, the final pillar, is uh, after officer safety and well being. And what what do you think is just the really salient point that folks need to understand, like about the importance of that pillar? Well, first we miss pillar four, which is community policing and crime mm -hmm. reduction. Yes, but Ooh. we can come back to that. I think officer wellness and safety are uh, imperative, right? Imperative. So not othering anyone, mm -hmm. not pointing anyone out, uh, but think of it like this. And I heard uh, a Portland Police Bureau Sergeant Israel Hill say this today, that the wellness and safety is number one on his list because if you're not well... And in a good mindset, you can't possibly show up and do the job that day, mm -hmm. right? If you're not centered, your interaction more than likely is going to go terrible and could result in some circumstances that um, could be extremely tragic. There are other people that they adhere to the military model uh, and that you should have officers that have a fitness metric to meet quarterly uh, or yearly. Um, you know, if you can't get out of the car and do your job, which may consist of running two or three blocks and hopping a fence to save someone's life, yeah. maybe, mm -hmm. maybe you're not able to do the job, right? Um, and just for, I think, uh, self-improvement, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't have to be like boot camp, um, but there should be some standard. Um, currently, because of labor contracts and so forth, those standards are always considered a point of bargaining, and so there's got to be some type of incentive or um, 
um, monetary um, uh, push mm -hmm. for people to want to uh, participate rather than it just being, hey, this is a rule. You know, this is the way it is. Um, and it's good for you and it's good for the community we serve. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the jury's still out. However, there are other areas of wellness, the whole mindfulness, the, you know, um, dietary issues, the, you know, having uh, an outlet that does not include going to party with the people you just worked a shift with, mm -hmm. you know, um, being clicked into your family. You know, and remembering who you were before you took the job and took the oath. And, you know, because there is an intensity to it that um, it will change your personality and your um, relationship with a lot of people and a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I will say this, though, you know, because, again, <laughs> you know, when it comes to criticism, sometimes... Uh, public safety has the thinnest skin, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, in the corporate world, it's a little different. Uh, but if you're really of service, you know, you don't personalize what is being said about the profession. You personalize your efforts to make the profession better. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's my belief. And so there are those that say, how dare you? How dare you criticize? Oh, I heard you say this about the mayor or the chief. And I said, I'm, I, listen, I am a citizen just like you are, mm -hmm. right? And you feel strong enough to say things about anybody that says anything about the profession or the people that uh, have the responsibility and the burden of leading the profession. Well, I have the same right. Mm-hmm. And I think it directly impacts me a little bit more than you. Absolutely. And I think actually what said there actually kind of sets us up well to, to, to cover that last pillar of community uh, policing and, and uh, crime reduction. Because uh, there's the thing I think folks, I ask people to understand is that as a, as a person as in law enforcement, we have given you, we, we have agreed that you have the authority to go to the ultimate level of human interaction yes. if something's happening. Yes. I right. can stop you, detain you, arrest you, take your possessions, put you in confinement, and pass you off to a district attorney who issues charges, and then you have to go in front of a judge and ultimately a jury of your peers right. or... A grand jury hears the evidence, and you're in the mix. And so, I I need to be able to critique what you're doing. Yes, because <laughs> that's all I have. Yes, to know, like to get to that trust and legitimacy. Right, right? because you're talking about the powerful and the powerless, mm -hmm. right? And power transferred by oath does not mean that you are. Uh, without fault or that you should be without question, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the history of the Portland Police Bureau um, 
before I came on, there was um, a group of officers referred to as the Dirty 30, mm. you know. And then uh, after that, of course, we had uh, uh, several tragedies in the community. And then we had the possum throwing incident. Mm -hmm. We had the uh, don't choke them, smoke them T-shirts. Um, you know, there have been union marches where the rank and file of the PPA have marched. Uh, we had a black commissioner uh, relieved of his duties of being the commissioner of police. We're talking about Charles Jordan, mm -hmm. um, and so on and so forth, right? And and so when people say, "Oh, why can't you just let go of it?" It's like because it keeps happening. Mm -hmm. It keeps happening, right? Nationally and locally, and to have the audacity to say we will not be questioned. It's just fundamentally wrong. Um, so, community policing. If, as uh, I think it's Sir Robert Peel said, the people are the police, the police are the people. Mm. So, that's number one. Uh, number two is you do have two communities. You've got one of interest, generally, and then you've got the geographic community. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you must service both, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and that service and involvement uh, includes everything from uh, creation of policy to satisfying the basic needs of all humans, recognition, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, helping to solve problems together, right? If... When I get done with my shift, and, and truly, I do not mean this as an affront to anyone who may live in Ridgefield, but I jump into my truck, and I boogie on to Ridgefield, and I don't have to be in the community I'm working because I'm on a 410, right? So I got three days off, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's something that becomes unbalanced about that, mm -hmm. right? Um because you're not living, tasting, breathing, smelling life outside of interrupting life. And in most times, there's some of the most intense experiences you're ever going to have. Right. right. So you've got to involve community in a way that takes in mentors, actually almost even adopts their officers. Right. I mean, uh, I thought the neighborhood liaison officer program was great. And I think that... Um, you know, the former iterations of um, having neighborhood associations that were active, uh, I think that uh, those are very good assets. And I think being open and transparent, right, mm -hmm. using technology, hey, when the precincts open up, there should be a kiosk in every precinct where a citizen can come in and look up all types of information, crime statistics in the neighborhood, who their neighborhood officer is, when the next meeting is, how many, um, how many officers were deployed on any given shift, what was the incident last night. You know, all of that, right, should be available to the public and to the officers in a usable way mm -hmm. so we can talk mutually about problems that can be solved, mm -hmm. right? And um, 
I saw community policing at its most robust here in the city of Portland. And I also experienced it at its poorest because um, just as I spoke about soft skills versus hard skills, most of the people-oriented, community-oriented pieces of the Bureau seem to always become defunded when there's a budget crisis. Mm. So, considering the call for reprogramming money, I think that work is given to the community and that the police are collaborators, right? Rather Mm -hmm. than the police, um, as has been said, colonizing a community and telling them, you know, Mm -hmm. it's old missionary style. Hey, read this book. And (laughs) what's in this book is good for you. These are the rules. These are the rules. And we'll take care of you if you (laughs) abide by this book. Well, you know, um, maybe maybe it should be the other way around. Mm -hmm. You know, community safety, public safety, neighborhood responsibility. All those things are important. You know, I really believe that. I I think um, many times we try to complicate uh, issues that might not need another round table. How about just put the chairs back at the table you had, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, how about, yes, you can reform neighborhood associations, but don't destroy them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, don't just throw out things that say, oh, well, they were, you know, inhabited by old silver-haired white folks that dictated how the police treated people in the community. Yeah, there might have been some of that, but my experience says that, you know, people who... Um, uh, invested themselves in in those processes and those activities weren't just old silver haired white people. They're people that you know. I got a house. I don't like them people slinging that dope on my street corner because you know it brings disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and those are the things I think that if you encourage the opportunity for working together and it's not a panacea, right? Then you get there, Mm -hmm. but you also don't just build your nest on it. Right. Yeah. I mean, because you've had the professional era of policing, you've had the reform era of policing, you've had the technological era of policing and the collaborative era, and then you've had problem-oriented policing as opposed to community-oriented policing, you've had broken windows theory. It's all of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? It's all of it. So, that's what I think. Well, I'm going to do because, I mean, I got a wealth of other things we can talk about, but there's always what I like to call the future, to have a future conversation. Um, so I want to get us out on, um, can you, with, mm, music? Can you give me, can I get a music question? Yeah. yeah, you can ask me a question about music. Okay. All right. So what would you... You 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 need to get the energy. You need to get the the blood pumping. You know what I'm saying? What 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 are you turning on for? If I say right now, Modica, we got to get up. We got to ride to Seattle, man. We need to get our energy level up. What 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 you gonna turn on to to get us motivated? Get us at, you know energized. Um, it's either gonna be the 
cut by Graham Central Station featuring Larry Graham, Hair, mm. or uh, Flashlight by Funkadelic. <laughs> you, you can see that my mask is mm. all the cover art from Parliament Funkadelic. Can I can I can I can I make take a picture of that there? You could take a picture of this right here. Matter of fact, I even put it on. And then you can you can cut us out with that <laughs> Graham Central Station cut. Cause that's the besides Glide, that's the toughest bass line ever. You know, Glide by uh, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, yes, see. sir. You see that? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I'm going to back it up so that people can... May the funk be with you. Absolutely. You know, whether the funk be your guide or... Oh, yes. You know what I mean? Because I, I... Well, thank you, because I, I feel like, um, you know, music is a language. Oh, yeah. And a feeling. And the beautiful thing about it is you don't even always have to be around or from the time that that music was the music. That's right. But if it's good music, you'd be like, ooh. Oh, man. I see why you like there's that. There's so much music, right? I mean, I'm a P-Funk and uh, Go-Go uh, music uh, uh, enthusiast. I like it. But I also like, I like people like Gary Bartz, mm. you know, saxophonist. Music is my sanctuary. You yeah. know, I like Gato Barbieri, you know, uh, jazz saxophonist, you know. Uh, Latino brother, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I like Buddy, uh, Buddy Miles, mm. Harvey Mason, mm. Jack Dijonet. You know, I mean, um, music. It is um, as important as uh, physical sustenance. Oh, yeah. right. Well, T. I thank you for sharing with me today, man. I appreciate it. Oh, you're most very welcome. I tell you, Justice, you know, we got to do it again. Uh, I got a group um, that I rock with, um, and we're retired, Uh, most of us uh, from the profession. We're African-American, Latino, and indigenous, and we span all ranks. Mm. And so I think, you know, if we do this again, man, that's... uh, we do the group thing. I would love that. I would love that. That'd be fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. So with that, I'm gonna say thank you for joining us and uh, peace. Where's my music? Oh well, you are gonna hear that on the you know on the other side. Oh, you know, okay. I don't play. I don't have no keyboard. And <laughs> 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 thank you, my little deacon. All right, brother. Peace. Thank you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Asher Old Head Podcast with Justice Raji. Thank you to my guest Kevin Modica. Uh, this interview was recorded, as I like to say, live and in person, uh, right on the stoop. And um, so that's why you got, you know, you got the nature, you got the raw, you got the random noises, the real life happening right there as it was going on. But really, really, I want to say again, thank you, Modica, for uh, giving me time and giving me space and sharing your home um, and allowing me to, you know, just to, to take a little bit of your story and share it with the world. Uh, as always, the Ask Your Head podcast can be found anywhere you find podcasts for free. Uh, you can support the podcast by heading to Patreon and becoming a patron. Uh, you can also support the podcast by sharing, rating, and subscribing. 
and you know putting it on to somebody else to expand our audience you can also support the podcast by heading to the etsy shop grabbing a t-shirt the arts of culture uh which will be more work coming with that in a few any minute now and uh generally man thank you be safe you know, this is a moment in our community, in our society, and uh, we we are going to get to the other side one way or the other. So do the best you can, you know, be your best self at all times or most of the time. <laughs> With that, I'm going to say peace.